And we are back. I am Melissa Hunter Davis, founder of Sugar and Cane Magazine, and this is This Week in Caribbean Art and Culture. And as always, I am always here with the best team, starting with Maria. Hi, my artist here. And Susie. Hi, everyone. Suzanne Fredericks here. Susie Wong I'm not sure I understand. in Jamaica. And we have, so this is something different. So now we have the guy who always makes sure that these episodes are uploaded. We have James on. James can say, hey. What up? <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's get started. So first of all, happy Black History Month to yep. everyone. And so I've noticed something a little bit different. Typically, you know, there's Black History Month in the United States, which is in February. And then the UK celebrates Black History Month in October, but it seems like it is Black History Month all over the world because I'm <laughs> seeing, it is so cool because I'm starting to see even conversations about Black History Month, you know, in the Caribbean and in the UK. It's like a twofer for the year, which I love it. It should be Black History Month 365 days a year, but I love it that everybody is celebrating even twice if they have to, which is really dope. So speaking of Black History Month in Jamaica, you guys are celebrating some type of Black history of your own, correct? Yeah, I mean, Black History Month here has been established for quite a while. Um, IOJ do work around that and stuff like that. Kingston Creative this year have done a really um, interesting partnership with John Hansard Gallery in the UK, in Southampton. And, you know, Windrush, uh, that generation, um, the... The stories around it, the history of it, the current contemporary issues, you know, around it with the UK hostile policy, the issues on the either side of the Atlantic are so different. And there's very little opportunity for exchange, collaboration, any kind of understanding on either side experientially of how this works, you know. Um, so John Hansard has partnered with Kingston Creative uh, to do a project, uh, Windrush Portraits. So it features two artists. We have Michael Elliott in Jamaica. We have Mary Evans in the UK. Um, they have, they're interested in, in the Windrush stories and have produced work around that. So in Jamaica this month, um, nationwide on digital billboards and a couple of static billboards at very key points of like airports, you know, when diaspora come home, um, is a public art exhibition of their work. And Throughout the summer, there'll be collaboration. So Michael's going to go to the UK, meet with Mary. Obviously, they'll collaborate on new work. Um, he's going to meet communities over there. And she's going to be coming to Jamaica to do the same thing. And in Jamaica, it's returning residents. It's deportee associations. You know, it's a different set of issues. And together, they're going to produce uh, new bodies of work. And in the UK in October for their Black History Month, all of that will be in billboards around the UK. That's amazing. That's yeah, so cool. I think it's, yeah, I think it's really special and having, I'm project managing it for Kingston Creative. So seeing, seeing how it's already, already being talked about and how the artists are already engaging with the, you know, the summertime collaborations and stuff and the planning for that. I'm really looking forward to seeing the new work that comes out in October. And it, the, the great thing about it, it's in the public domain, you know, and lots of people are seeing it. And there's there's a really great response. So yeah, I think it's important work. And do you know like uh, some of the artists will be uh, some of the artists will be participating? 
Yeah, well, it's it's these two artists. I mean, it really oh. is focused on them. Um, and the new work they produce. You know, it's it's not something you can like be very inclusive on. It really has to have, I think a previous interest in the Windrush stories, you know, and they both mm -hmm. have that. And Intermaker, it's hard to find an artist that does, does think about, you know, the migratory pattern to the UK during that era, you know? So it, it was a choice of artists to be able to work together. Yeah, yes. Um... And I think that also it's just important to learn more. Like there's so many stories that are not right. spoken to its fullest. So I, I think that's also fantastic. Yeah. Another exhibition happening in Kingston this month in Jamaica is hybridization, um, which is the third in a series of exhibitions that were, you know, we have very little funding here, public funding for art projects. And Chase is um, has funded this series of exhibitions around textiles um, in the, you know, the, the intention, the series was very interesting and the unfolding of it. And the third exhibition in the series, the third and final was open this weekend um, and is titled Hybridization. Really fantastic show, important curatorial work. Really, um, the intention is to talk about why textiles is marginalized you know, who practices, what is the practice about, how does it cross the line into serious artistic practice? And then there were um, some collaborations in the final edition with artists that work in other um, mediums. Mm -hmm. And it's a really, really interesting result. I'd encourage people to go on. It's curated by Katrina Coombs, um, AKA Black Mango Consultants. And you can find them on IG black mango and you can also hash use the hashtag hybridization and i'm sure it will come up so i would encourage you know, everyone to have a look at that textiles are so i think on trend right now overall like you see a lot of artists in the u.s and also in europe and latin america working with textiles so it's also nice to see or it's important to include uh, or be aware of the caribbean artists and the voices that are also engaging with textile work certainly um they they have they're they're very present right now in the in the kind of international global scene, right? And that's what's interesting because locally it's still seen a particular way. So it's about shifting that and allowing people to kind of, I mean, I did the opening remarks and that's what I talked about. You know, here we have a really kind of an emerging medium that's taken very seriously in the contemporary art world, and yet locally it's still seen very much in a local context. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's um, that was part of the conversation yesterday. Great, and hopefully That's that fantastic. will all that will all shift. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. You know, after work like this is done, that's why it's so important. Well, while you were having such a great um, experience in Jamaica this weekend, I was actually <laughs> in Mexico City for Sonamaco. I was so envious. I want to be there. <laughs> I mean, um, Mexico City is, I mean, it's the biggest city in the continent. So it's 21 million people. And the culture mm -hmm. level is just so high. I mean, it's such an old city. I mean, it's just, it's just the rigor there in terms of culture. And it's just so much fun. And the best part, one of the best parts is the food scene for anybody that's into eating great food. <laughs> Mexico City, it's like, I mean, it has, it has a couple of the top 10 restaurants in the world, like, and also has 
amazing taco stand. So if you don't want to drop the bills for a, you know, a, a dinner at a top nine restaurant, you can definitely have, you know, amazing food that is even, you know, a fraction of what's in the U.S. So, so I totally recommend our listeners to go. You don't have to go, go during the art fair, which is in February. Um, but you can go other times because there's always great museums, great artists, and great food. Not great food, amazing food, like, you know, top of the line. So I was there, um, I went because I was participating in a panel on Saturday. And if you're listening and you came to the panel, thank you for coming. It's great to see you. And um, in the fair itself, you know, Mexico City has always been a hub for a lot of intellectuals and creatives throughout its lifestyle or lifetime. And that's not different now. So there are artists from the Caribbean that actually live in Mexico City, especially from um, all over, like, there was a, a moment that Mina Bibiani from Martinique was living there. Um, uh, and of course, a, a Dominican and Puerto Rican artist, Cuban artist that um, are perhaps more known, but people from the Caribbean come from, from other, from all over, not just the Spanish speaking one, because it's, it's just a creative place to be and to produce as an artist. And in terms of the fair and the scene, um, uh, you know, there were a couple of shows going on. There was a show, Marianne Ibrahim, which has a gallery in Paris and New York. She opened a show with a Puerto Rican artist named Claudine de Jimenez. It was like her first show in Mexico City for her, for her new gallery. And um, uh, that was a, a beautiful exhibition. And um, also, um, Madeline, Madeline Santil, um, she um, is an artist from the Dominican Republic who had a beautiful sculpture project. At, um, and, and she also lives in Mexico City, both Cotilde and Madeline live in Mexico City, Madeline Jimenez, um, excuse me. And she, um, she had a sculpture project at Galeria Ronis, which um, it had a very kind of playful, um, approach to it it reminded me a lot of like kind of the contemporary Mexican sculpture like the school of Gabriel Orozco and Daniel Ortega because a lot of these artists from the Caribbean you know once they're there they also get influenced by the great art that is being produced there and and also in the, in the museum at the, Del Tamayo they have this amazing retrospective that was originated by Museo del Barrio um, by Rafael uh, Montañez Ortiz um, and he, I mean, he's an artist, New Yorker artist, the founder of a Museo del Barrio. So he's just very, he's a very historical and important figure in Puerto Rican and Latinx art. And he had a, a beautiful show that I was so glad that I was able to see at the museum. And then the fair, you know, there was a beautiful, uh, there were galleries from all over, there were galleries from Puerto Rico, from the Dominican Republic, from Cuba, from Havana. Um, they also had the first and only Black-owned Brazilian gallery. So I'm just now getting a little off topic, but just for our listeners that are also interested in kind of Brazilian um, uh, Black art, I just want to drop that there <laughs> just for you. Um, and there were art, you know, so there were artists from, from all over in galleries. There was a beautiful uh, historical Jose Media show, a workshop, a show at Lyle Rizzo from the Dominican Republic. And then, you know, there were um, um, other artists that certainly, you know, there, there was Caribbean representation. There was also, when, that, when the fairs happened, there's also two other fairs that happened at the same time. One is Material, 
which is more um, cutting edge. I was here more edgy. And there, there was Embajada Gallery from Puerto Rico, which had a lot of fantastic contemporary um, uh, Puerto Rican artists. And then also um, there was um, other galleries like from New York, like Theory Goldberg, who was showing another um, artist, um, Latinx artist. And then along with Material, there was also Salon Acme. Salon Acme is even more emerging. So that's the fair that you go if you kind of want to see, yeah, just the emerging, emerging stuff. And it's a beautiful building. And it's just really interesting to see and very refreshing to see the contrast between the fairs. Um, and I was in, in overall, if you ask me like what was my one of my best sites, it was also just kind of the emerging work that's being produced in there in Mexico City. Um, it's, it's really exciting. And also like the entire bet, like I think there's a bet there of supporting kind of younger artists and with projects like Salon Acme or even material that it's also really nice to see um, an experience. Yeah, and I should also give a big shout out to Lilia Lasso. She's a Cuban um, a curator and that she, and an organizer, that she um, curated the EJES section in uh, the fair, which was, um, um, a uh, section with 32 galleries. And it was just really cool to see. Um, and she's, you know, she's a, a connoisseur of uh, Cuban contemporary art and by extension, um, parts of the Caribbean and Latin America. So she certainly, um, uh, you know, did a great representation of, of the galleries that were at the fair. So of all the work that you saw who do you think that we will be talking about this year? I would say that um, there were a couple of artists and I actually do not want to name name because I want to keep them close to my to my cards at my deck um, uh, that were really exciting and that we'll be talking about in a couple of years. Like really exciting stuff, you know, that and joyful like yeah maria you're not gonna share that with us not even one one name uh not the that they're from yeah. <laughs> tell us what regions are they from well give you us can't give her no pressure melissa from, from mexico city from central america for argentina i think there's a lot of cool stuff happening okay in latin america and with that conversation and i feel like it's so much fertile ground there um so i was just very excited and you know i know that we mostly talk about caribbean art here but um there was also a really nice show two really good shows one by galaporas came of the muak and um and that was um you know beautiful work and also um the dana Perez, uh cordova show at el tamayo which also um uh, is, is a kind of a, a beautiful arrangement of work so so yeah, so definitely if you want, we're probably gonna be talking about Tanya Perez Cordova for sure. And if you tell me about like people that this year and we're talking about her in the last couple of months and she's just, you know, her work is very stunning. And, um, and I think Gala's work is also another artist that is kind of, that she's in the ether for sure. So if you look at the description for this episode, you will see the exact spelling of the name of the fair. What you can do is Google it 
get on their mailing list, um, find out when it will take place in 2024 and make your travel arrangements. I know a lot of people. And so for those of you who feel like um, this will be new ground for you, especially maybe African-American collectors and artists. I actually know quite a few African-Americans who go down every year to be a part of this to buy and also just to kind of see what they can expect for the year. Shout out to Charles Moore, who is one of the writers for Sugarcane. I know that he was there um, over the weekend as well. So there's definitely a place for you. Good stuff, good work to purchase to add to your collections and a good time. I would like to go next year. And and I also think that, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you bring up like the, the African-American uh, perspective because Mexico has also been a very important place for African-American artists. Yes. So like, so I think that it's also nice to just go back there to find that place that Alyssa the Collect found to generate her work. And um, so I think that there's a lot there to, to, to explore as a Black American. And of course, over the last, what, five, six years, we've learned a lot about the African presence in Mexico that I know that most Americans, period, really didn't have any information on. So that's all very new to us. It's a great time for you to go down to explore that as well. So I'm happy that you had a great time. Yes, and I'm gonna tell you, now that you're saying that Mexico, I learned, it, Mexico is the place where the first ever black town was created before the Asian revolution there was this there's a town there that was created by a runaway slave that he fought so much against the Spanish the Spanish that eventually they just say you know what we don't want to fight anymore you take that town and you're fine you know so like and two of the libertadores of Mexico were actually uh, Morenos, were actually like mulatos. They were black. And they actually, they have their Barack Obama a long time ago. Um, um, it didn't happen again. So that's good for us to hear in the U.S. to be remind, reminded of. Yes. Um, uh, but so there's a lot of very rich. Um, and I think they received more slaves in the U.S. as well. Which or combined was, with Peru. Was, yeah, you're right, which I thought was so interesting and I always felt like like how did we bypass how do we not know that you know even my friends um who's you know their grandparents were when I say their grandparents were from Mexico like you know their grandmothers never learned English but they even they didn't know this information so um it's it all seems to be new if I think there is, what is the, there was a series on PBS that gives like a lot of background on yes yeah, Henry Gates. Yeah, yes. he's a great, a fantastic yeah. series that I recommend everybody to watch. Um, it's just, it's just a different. I think you know, and th just um, racism and slavery operated different to certain levels <laughs> here in the U.S. than in parts of Latin America. So it's just, it's just different. So, you know, they still have the horrific plantations <laughs> that right. you know people were killed and enslaved. But then they had more mixing and they had, um, um, you know, like other, they, they had other, um, um, they didn't have the one drop rule. They had like this casta system in which everybody had a role, but it was a hierarchical role. So it's just, it's just so rich. And if anybody's interested in, listen, in learning more about that, let us know. Yes, Henry Louis Gates he does a series and so because it's black history month it is very likely available on youtube 
or if you visit the PBS site, I think they have a catalog of a lot of their um, series. You can probably find it there. All right, so we just finished the NFL, uh, what is it, the Super Bowl. For those of you who are interested in football, I am not one of those people. Um, I was hoping for Philly just because I know so many people from Philadelphia and I felt really bad that their team mm. lost. But either way, honestly, it means nothing to me. However, <laughs> the football game interrupted what could have been a full concert of Rihanna. So she finally performed her what is it the navy the navy has been waiting for a performance in an album for years they didn't get an album they did get a really thir nice 13 minute performance i remember laughing at my daughter when she um announced that she was pregnant and i was like oh sweetheart you are not getting an album anytime soon and apparently she's not getting the album any anytime soon because it appears that the princess of, of Barbados is pregnant again. Congratulations. Yes, congratulations. She looked beautiful I, in her red and her Fenty, all of it. It was fantastic. I mean, I love Rihanna. She's so great. And she just, you know, like I really love how she kind of expresses her culture. Like she's always been very like she keeps her Bajan-ness. Yes. and um and her kind of worldview of what it means to grow up in Barbados and be a Bayesian so like I really she's so true to that that I can I relate to that too um and her music is great her music is amazing um ironically every time I go to Mexico I get reminded of her a lot because I hear a lot on the street her music okay. um, um now I also hear a lot of I heard a lot of reggaeton which of course you know but but it's great. And I think I also love how, like, I feel like she's right now, and we were talking about this earlier, in a different moment in her life, just the way we grow. So if I, you know what, if she's not going to give us another album, I'm okay with that if, you know, if this is where she's at right now. Um, that's just the way life is. And she's blessed, you know? Like, she's blessed that she can be like, you know what, I don't want to, I'm going to shift my business into this other uh, realm. Um and focus on this other things because you know I I'm still doing you know, I had my kids and I'm still doing what I was doing before that I couldn't shift into a billion dollar company you know um uh, so so I'm just I think she's great I have to agree um you know she's a, a billionaire first of all so she can do absolutely anything that she wants to do we all grow and change you know touring is grueling, you know, waking up in another country every day, you know, kind of losing your sense of time. You know, even when we do like a little traveling, I don't know if you feel the same way, but even with a little traveling, it seems like when you come back home, it seems like you've lost like a week of your life because all of a sudden all kinds of things have changed. And then, you know, spy planes are getting shot down, yes. the house, you know, around the corner caught on fire. And you're like, oh my God, I was only gone for like three, four days. So I can imagine what touring, like what, how long did those tours last? Was it like maybe three or four months? That's a lot. Um, That's a and, lot. And there's a lot of work before that tour. Got to be practicing and working out and probably doing like vocal things. Yeah, it's it's a lot. So um, I, I completely agree. Um, if she has, you know, really kind of had it and wants to go back to this later on. And what that performance did was A, reminded us, I love her aesthetic. I love the way she looks at art and design and fashion. 
because I loved how beautiful and clean the stage was. Um, and I also feel like she probably saved a lot of money because, you know, they pay for that performance for the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl, the NFL does not pay for that. They pay for all of the production. They pay for the dancers. Everything that you see maybe sans the fireworks, I'm guessing. And she might even have to pay for that as well. All of that is considered her production and she pays for it. And typically if we look at like Beyonce and we look at, um, it wasn't Coldplay who performed before, but some of the other groups, Lady Gaga, you know, they really- Eminem. Eminem. Oh yes, I forgot about last year was um, the Dr. Dre type, yeah. I have to say, now that we're talking about Rihanna, can we also talk a little bit about Bat Bunny? Um, uh, Okay, what about him? Speak up. What are we talking about? Did you see, you know, there was like this whole, um, um, you know, like ha- people were come talking about, like he spoke in Spanish, like that his whole performance was in Spanish. Like oh, the, the Grammys didn't have like translation captions. Um, uh, <laughs> are you kidding And me? actually somebody also told me, why didn't he win the artist, the, the album of the year, artist of the year? And I, I think that's a great question. Like, I feel like, I don't know, like, and maybe this is conspiracy theories, but I mean, it's always to me that Bob Bunny is right now the biggest star in the, in the U.S., in at the least. World. In the world. In the world, yeah. in the world, yeah. And, um, and, and what's happening about that is, I, I, it's quite transformative. The fact that this guy who's speaking in another language um, is making all people move and dance and the, and the music itself, it's very anti-colonial. You know, he speaks about like, you know, the realities of being Puerto Rico colony. Some of it is a little bit, you know, X-rated, um, but that goes back to um, the roots of reggaeton in Puerto Rico, at least that that style that came out from Puerto Rico. And then also very uh, pro kind of LGBT, LGBTQ plus communities. So like, you know, I feel like that we have the Princess Rihanna on one end, which also her music pushed boundaries. So, and Bad Bunny. So I don't know if anybody has any other Bad Bunny comments. I mean, I feel like that that's, a, that's actually a conversation all by itself about the Grammys, because I know that that was brought up where, you know, you've had these amazing artists of color who have clearly been told, no, you can't have this award, right? The fact that Beyonce didn't win for Lemonade or for self-titled or am I missing mm-hmm. one? Self-titled Lemonade. For any of the last people, one. She also didn't win in the last one. Or, well, this one, which I don't think she was expecting. Um, the fact that she was, you know, and I think a comment from a Grammy um, voter was, we're the only ones who can tell her no. So that tells me all I need to know, right? Is that you get off on telling her, I don't care how these people love you. I don't care about what you say about black culture. I don't care about any of these things. We are not gonna allow you, you have to do something else for this. And it's the same thing for him because I think the other question was if Beyonce got it, they would have thought, okay, at least they gave her this because of all the past misses. But even if she had not been in that category, for there to be no conversation for Bad Bunny tells you all that you need to know about how we see race and class in the United States, the end. <laughs> He's nothing else to say. Yeah. I would love to have that conversation with someone who was, there's this guy that I follow, but he won't, um, he won't disclose his identity 
because of who he works with, but he's actually the person I would love to have this conversation with because he gets down into these little intricacies about, you know, and it's it's like any other field, you see it, you know, in the art world, you see it in all fields. You know, there's a certain way that you have to behave and a certain way that you need to present yourself. Um, There are certain backstories that are meaningful, all of these things that get you to where you wanna go. And the music industry is no different, but I am very proud that Rihanna, you know, she did her thing at her performance. You know, she had enough songs. She reminded us that she had a lot of hits. In 13 minutes, she did all of our favorites, you know, and you have plenty of music to listen to while she births this next child. So I think, I think we're good, you know. We're good. And you know, there there were twisted storms around, you know, Jamaican has taken Rihanna as their own. People started saying there was like last year, I think it was maybe the year before um, when she was she was made national hero of Barbados by Mia Motley. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just so fascinating. The, the the conversations they brought, like the old school dudes of the Caribbean, they're on they're on Twitter. Right. And I, I'm not very active on there, but I got on when I heard this was happening. <clears throat> um, there was all this thing about why is she not wearing a bra? You know what I mean? I know this, 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 this chauvinism starts coming out, you know? And then of course people started saying, well, she's Jamaican, you know, she used a lot of Jamaican material in her music. Yes. Barbados yeah. doesn't have her thing, yeah. right? So she's, she has a regional feel. And even though she's Bayesian, Jamaica claimed her <laughs> and there was this <laughs> call out. <laughs> it was hilarious. It was hilarious, but I love yeah. how she brings that, that whole, um, a bit like, you know, you, you guys, well, I won't go into that here. Um, well, yeah, you know, I, I love Rihanna she, too. She definitely borrows from the dance bowl culture, but you know who else does that a, a lot? Um, uh, Drake. Yeah. yeah. Like Drake also borrows a lot from, from dance hall. For real. Um, uh, you can't help yeah. it if you are in, I feel like you can't help it if you're in Caribbean. You can't help it. I, I hear you, but you have to acknowledge it somehow. Yeah, I just take it and run, which is, you know, kind of what some of them do. I mean, Rihanna doesn't because everyone knows Drake. I mean, everyone here knows, but I don't know if it's something he really acknowledges, like maybe in the credits or which producer he's working with or what beats, what rhythm he's using, you know, that might be from I need to investigate more. I mean, I think that, um, um, you know, there's a a couple of songs like Controller that an artist is created, but um, also he grew up in Toronto, which is like a major Caribbean hub. Yeah. I mean, that's like another, I mean, the the carnival there is insane. Yeah. Yeah. And plenty of Jamaicans up there too. And Caribbeans. Yeah. And Trinis and from all over. And that's a, you know, a huge part of, you know, such a huge part of his sound that I would not think other otherwise. However, if you don't know much about Toronto, you know, for us, like maybe he doesn't have to say anything because we get it. But if you don't know much about Toronto, if you're from, if you just happen to be a passing listener in Wyoming, you may not get those references, you know? So you're right. It, it would make sense that if he would, you know, kind of talk about that more in his music. So I think we had a nice, rich conversation. We had a little bit of pop. <laughs> a little bit of wind rush, you yeah. know, I love it. 
All right, ladies. So Maria, <clears throat> where can we find you online? You can find me online at Instagram Contemporary Chica. And Susie? I am on as Susie Wong Presents on IG. And you can find me, of course, at Sugarcane Magazine on Instagram. Thank you for joining us. Look, uh, really quick, if you have not already subscribed, make sure that you subscribe and download our episodes. And you can also download past episodes if you want. Fun fact, if you have an iPhone and your iPhone is like mine, and all of a sudden you realize you are downloading all of the episodes and you have no more room on your phone, you can actually download them on any of your other devices. So you can download on your desktop or your laptop just to keep um, a copy of it. So you don't lose any space on your phone. Make sure that you keep up with us. Also, big shout out to the Greater Miami Convention and Visitors Bureau for being a sponsor for today's episode. And we look forward to you joining us next week. Bye guys. Bye everyone. Bye.